Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, where we discuss tea as self-cultivation. All the life lessons, zen, awakening, and insights that come through a life of Cha Dao. This will be the focus of this podcast, developing and cultivating ourselves and our spiritual practice through tea. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how it's produced or made, you might want to check out our magazine, Global Tea Hut, which also includes those topics. If you're interested in the practical aspects of brewing tea, we have a whole series of videos on YouTube called Brewing Tea. Also, you're welcome to come to our center, Tea Sage Hut, here in Miali, Taiwan, and sit a 10-day course where we incorporate all these aspects from the linear to the brewing tea to the spiritual cultivation all together, and you can take a deep dive and immerse yourself and ground yourself in this beautiful practice. We're so excited to have this forum to discuss all the life lessons that we can cultivate together through tea. Welcome, put on a kettle, get out some bowls, and let's drink some tea together. Hi, and welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. I'm Morgan. And I'm Janos. We are pleased to welcome back to the podcast our tea brother and longest serving student at the Tea Sage Hut, Shen Su. Shen contributes to Global Tea Hut regularly and uh, over the years has written many guides from how to do Kung Fu experiments to how to organize your own tea and meditation retreat. We have just emerged from such a retreat, a week of silent meditation and tea and wanted to share our experience as well as give some practical advice on how to organize your own retreat. Welcome to the podcast, Shen Su. Hi, Morgan. Hi, Janos. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for having me again. I'm always happy to be here. Why don't we start with uh, practical advice first and at the end, maybe share a bit about our experiences during this retreat that we just undertook. So a lot of people hear the word retreat and they think Bali or Costa Rica, or perhaps they associate it with an exorbitant amount of money. However, our retreat was so simple yet so rich. What would you say some of the basics or essentials that one would need in order to create stillness or solace in the container of your own home? Mm. Um, yeah, I'm glad you started with that question because you emphasized the word retreat. And um, a lot of people have this misconception that it is, is like the examples you gave. And there's also another misconception that um, this time for self-cultivation um, is a, a movement forward. And actually, um, if you just think about the very definition of the word retreat, um, it means to move backwards. Um, and that is what we're doing, actually, when we're going into a meditation retreat, which is a little more specific than maybe like a vacation-style retreat. Um, so actually what we're doing is we're moving backwards and inwards as sort of a type of introspection, and that's a form of self-cultivation, right? And so it's important for us to remember that if we're ever going to have a, a retreat, um, we, are, we are moving inwards to develop some skills, and then the way to move forward from that is that we should be able to apply the skills that we cultivate within that retreat itself, right? Apply them in our everyday lives, apply them out in the world, uh, at your job, you know, doing the dishes, whatever it is you're doing. So um, I think it's a, just even a good way to start by uh, redefining or, or um, reviewing what it even means to like have a retreat. 
Um, so yes, what we didn't do was a, a vacation in Bali. <laughs> and um, what we were doing was a tea and meditation retreat. Um, and I have been fortunate, very fortunate to participate in a lot of these retreats here at the center in Taiwan in Miaoli. Um, I mean, this is the ideal space in the RT school. All the tea wearers here, all the spaces are here. Um, and the time is here. It's rare, but you know, I've, I've been very privileged to do uh, one day, three day, seven day and 10 day tea and meditation retreats here. So yeah, I definitely would be happy to share some of the like practical um, aspects that go into organizing a retreat and then also like carrying it out because they're, they are relatively simple, like you just said. Um, anybody can do them no matter where you are and what your level of practice is with meditation or tea. Um, and the easier that we can uh, make people aware of that, then uh, hopefully more and people can actually do these retreats and also benefit from them because obviously uh, there's a lot to be learned when you do uh, like an intensive retreat within yourself um, through the tools of meditation and tea like we did. And so surprisingly, again, for me, the most important aspect is again, we need to, we need to step back and start from general start from the general and then move into the specifics. The most important thing is actually the time and the space for that retreat. And there's an actually an old Buddhist slogan that I've often heard my, my teacher Wuda refer to, and I love it. Um, it's that um, creating time and space for meditation is the primary meditation. Mm -hmm. And again, that's really confusing to people or it's just not, not like common um, wisdom because if you don't have time and you don't have space, you're not going to meditate. So the very act of creating that that time and creating that space is the primary meditation. Taking a seated posture and focusing on the breath in the present moment or maybe walking meditation or whatever your meditation practice is, is actually secondary because unless you have that time and space scheduled for that, um, most likely it's going to get consumed by our everyday uh, responsibilities and activities and all the unexpected things that happen in, in life. So if you're going to start a, a, a tea and meditation retreat at home uh, or wherever you are, then the first thing you need to do is a set a, a time and a date. Hmm. Um, and then that way you can commit to it. You should also communicate that to the people around you or the people who are participating with you. That helps to um, kind of, um, it helps you commit to it by, by vocalizing it to other people. And then there has to be time and space for it. So these are like the first like general things you've got to be considering when you're doing uh, a meditation and tea retreat before like diving into all the details. Hmm. You mentioned that you have sat um, retreats that are different duration. So um, would you say that it's very different to sitting a longer retreat, like a week long or a 10 day retreat versus just having a weekend retreat or say like even a one day retreat? Yeah, definitely. If you're going to sit like shorter term retreats, it's it's just easier to get into. And that's why I would recommend people start with like a weekend retreat, like you said, or even a one day retreat, um, because it's easy to organize um, and it's easy to follow through and finish as well. Mm. So if you're worried or like just uncertain of what to do, start with a short term retreat. There's less organization involved. Uh, there's less thinking involved and you can just step right into it. Whereas obviously a seven day or a 10 day retreat is going to require some more um, some more organization, some more forethought, um, and you're going to have to think about a lot more details that could come up during that time. And you're also going to have to uh, create space for unexpected things that come up during that time as well, which is always interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but we can talk about that later. 
Mm-hmm. Would you recommend people sitting a retreat organized by someone else before they even attempt to do their own retreat or that doesn't really matter? Yeah, no, it definitely matters. Um, Ideally, if you go to like a retreat center and everything's taken care of for you, you are essentially living uh, the life of a monk for a set period of time and the meals are taken care of, the schedule is taken care of, uh, maybe the discourses are, everything is taken care of. All you have to do is show up, meditate, eat and sleep and that's it. Follow the schedule. And follow the schedule. And it's easy because everything is there set up for you. So if you're at home and someone's willing to do that for you, that would be awesome. That's such a service for someone to do for you. Um, Or if you go to an actual like dedicated retreat center, that's another possibility. But if you're going to do your own retreat or with uh, yourself or with a group of people, likely you or a small group of you are going to have to organize the details yourself, which creates a very different environment, but still a very conducive one to the meditative mind. Hmm. We were just talking about schedule and on our retreat, um, we upheld a pretty, pretty rigid schedule with emphasis on routine. Um, can you share a bit about the importance of establishing a ritual or routine on a personal retreat and the risks of deviating from that routine? <laughs> yeah, deviating. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, since we started general, we can move into a little bit more of the specifics And, um, you know, what is a schedule going to look like for a tea and meditation retreat? It's pretty straightforward. You're basically going to like wake up early and the rest of your day is going to be divided into chunks of uh, meditation, meals, tea, and basically like work and rest or study periods. Um, And so that has to be uh, adapted to your schedule and your life. And that can be very different for a lot of you, but it's going to have all of these things in there. You're going to wake up early and meditate. There's going to be like meals, probably two, like a, um, a breakfast and a lunch, maybe an afternoon snack if that's necessary for you and your, the group of people you're with. And then there's going to be time set aside for tea. And of course, there has to be time set aside to rest. And uh, depending on your schedule, you may also need uh, work periods, mm. which for us was very necessary because we weren't privileged to just be able to set everything aside and leave our work alone Um, so we had to incorporate that into the meditation schedule itself, which at first might seem like a bit of a setback or a problem, but actually, um, it's very useful because you can carry all the things you're cultivating Mm -hmm. in the meditation space or in the tea space into the work that you're doing every day. And, um, you notice a big difference in your mindset when you carry out everyday tasks with a bit more of a meditative mind. So it actually, there's a great affirmation that could be said throughout any any retreat or any day really is that this is my practice you know anything that you're doing is your practice it's not separate from your life Mm. um and uh, so if you can carry that into meditation that's kind of easy tea practice that's kind of easy but carrying that affirmation into again going to work working on the computer dealing with the postman that's a little more challenging but that's again what we're here to do it's a retreat we're going backwards um we're, we're we're moving inwards through self-introspection and then ideally we want to apply that into our everyday lives and and see the changes that 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 makes um when and and that's very clear when you're practicing meditation and and developing presence because when you carry presence into anything you do you will notice uh, a big difference in the quality of of what you're doing and then if you deviate from this schedule yeah, it's also going to pose a lot of problems, right? So it's better to be more strict and self-disciplined, uh, a little more regimented, 
because then you know exactly what to do and things flow really nicely if you know that exactly at this time we're meditating and then there's breakfast and then there's a rest work period and then we have another meditation right and so if you if you have the schedule you've written it out clearly you've communicated it to all the participants and you've posted around the space where you're doing the retreat that's going to make everything flow a lot nicer and it's going to take care of any like unexpected things that come up um, and obviously deviating from it is not going to be in your best interest or the best interest of any of those participants. And so it does require a lot of forethought and organization before going into the retreat. Um, somebody or a small group of people does have to sit down and think about the details of, okay, what time should be people be waking up? And how are we going to notify them of the first meditation? And who's going to be on breakfast that day? Um, so these little details come into play and they have to be thought out because if you are thinking about them in the middle of the retreat, you're taking away the time that you should be using for cultivation. Mm. So you want to get that done out of the way before the retreat actually happens. Um, of course, unexpected things are going to happen, but the more you can organize before, the easier it's going to be to handle unexpected things if they arise. And so you, you, you know, there's details like meals. Meals are a big one. Okay, you have to start uh, getting all of your your inventory and your stock and all of your supplies ready for a retreat, especially if it's longer. This is why if it's a short retreat, it's easier. You might need a re um, you might need uh, ingredients and recipes for a meal or two. Mm -hmm. If it's a seven day retreat, then you need uh, ingredients and recipes for those seven days, and you need to assign people to cook those meals and to clean up after those meals and to be of service in that retreat during the retreat itself. And is that going to be someone from the outside who has agreed to help serve this retreat? Or is it going to be someone from the inside who's also doing the retreat like we just experienced where we would rotate through the meals ourselves? Um, and that again became part of the practice. Cooking was our practice in that, in that, um, during that time when you're scheduled to cook or clean. So Having a regimented schedule is better, more self-disciplined, more, more strict is better for us because our lives are often very loose and maybe undisciplined. And um, so having that in the schedule is much better and uh, try as little as possible to deviate it, deviate from that schedule. And it will definitely uh, reorient you towards seeing the schedule as an ally as opposed to an enemy. Mm -hmm. And that reorientation is really skillful and really helpful because then you can you can really just let go and rely on the schedule because it's telling you what to do and it's been thought out with consciousness and intention. Mm. And then you don't have to worry about like, you don't have to worry about anything. You just sit and meditate and drink tea and eat and sleep mm -hmm. and focus on, on what's most important in the retreat itself. Mm -hmm. So can you maybe walk us through a sample day um, during a retreat? Yeah, of course. Um, our schedule was pretty straightforward. Our first meditation started at six o'clock and actually went until 7.30. So that was our an hour and a half meditation. The, the time of the meditations will really be up to you. Um, for the most part, ours were an hour, but our morning one was actually an hour and a half, partially because we also listened to some chanting during that time, which was an hour. So I can come back to that. So that was our first meditation. And that went right into breakfast at 7.30. So one of the students had to be cooking during that time. So that was their meditation practice. Um, then after breakfast and cleanup, which we all participated in together, um, we had a, a rest period where we could carry out like small tasks, like maybe feeding the animals or watering the plants or whatever that would be for you. Um, maybe even a little time to rest um, or study. 
And then we had another meditation um, at nine o'clock that went from nine to 10. So it was just an hour meditation. After that, there was a, a two hour break from 10 to 12 where the students here were doing individual tea practice. Um, and one of them had to actually be working on lunch. And they needed that two hour time period to actually like prepare all of the ingredients and have the lunch ready on the table by 12. And that actually typically required another student to come in at the last half an hour um, and help to make sure everything was on time. So that all had to be thought out and scheduled uh, before the retreat itself. And that made things flow really nicely. And it still gave the student who had to assist in the last half an hour more than enough time to practice tea um, during that one and a half hour period that they had. Of course, after meals, we always clean and we always have a little break. So um, roughly between like 12.30 and 1 when we're cleaning up. Um, then there's another break until uh, 2.30 it was. And that was a time where people, again, could finish any tasks that needed tending to, or they could do reading, you could do more meditation. You can treat that time however you want, but that should be done very skillfully. And that means mainly you're going to avoid texting or being on your phone. Having a tech fast would be an excellent option in a meditation retreat for most participants. If that's possible for everyone, I would highly recommend it. Um, some For some of us, when we're working, it's just not possible. But then to be as mindful as you can, if you're on tech devices, um, you definitely want to do that if you need to be on those devices. That time could be used to take a walk or to go um, to do even more meditation, maybe walking meditation. However you choose to use it is up to you, but it should be done with some conscious thought and it shouldn't be wasted and it shouldn't be spent doing like distracting activities, uh, no like YouTube videos or surfing the internet and stuff like that. It's a retreat. You're going into a period of silence usually and um, we're trying to let our mind settle down, whereas in most of our everyday lives, the mind is very active and distracted by all of the amazing things that are going on in this world. <laughs> um, so after, that was from like, yeah, around 1 to 2.30, we had that period. Then from 2.30 to 3.30, we meditated again. And due to our schedule and some of the heavy workload we had to bear, we had a, a pretty large work period after that meditation. So from about 3.30 to 7, which we used to do office work and you know work around the center, work for Global Tea Hut, work for Light Meets Life. Um, so that was just stuff we had to do. You could obviously organize that differently for your schedule. Um, I've definitely done retreats on my own where I've had much more meditation and tea practice, and I utilized that afternoon time to do that, but we didn't this time. And then we would come back for our evening meditation from 7.30 to 8.30 um, as a group. And we had a little bit of a break after our meditation to just drink water, use the bathroom, and we incorporated a discourse at the end of our retreat schedule. And the discourses ranged anywhere from like half an hour to 45 minutes. So that's how we would end our evening. And we also had some chanting as well. These types of things could be more optional if you're organizing retreat. We're very fortunate that we have an organized set of discourses to utilize. And we have some consistent um, chants that we always go to in the morning and in the evening. Um, so you don't have to incorporate those into your schedule. Um, and if you want to, you could. It's just another detail that you have to plan and organize um, and consider the time of all those things. Then after that evening discourse and after our final um, chanting, we would have lights out. Like no, nothing else should be done after that. It's just close things down, turn off the lights and get some rest because you have to be up quite early in the morning. 
Like I said, our first meditation was at 6 to 7.30. That means you definitely have to be waking up somewhere between 4.30 and 5 or 4.30 and 5.30 to actually like get cleaned up and get ready for that first session. So you have long days and early mornings, um, but because you're meditating so much and drinking tea, it's actually much easier to adjust to that schedule. Uh, you're, you're, you're mentally taxed much less. You're physically taxed much less. Hopefully you're eating very healthy, clean, organic food. Um, and for us, all our meals were, of course, vegetarian. Uh, actually, we were vegan this entire retreat. So that would be something you'd have to decide again based on your retreat, your participants, and what you want to have as part of your meals. Um, for us, we always find it better to have at least vegetarian because it's a much lighter diet and a lighter diet facilitates a retreat with lots of meditation and lots of tea. So, of course, we did that. Mm. So this was obviously a very uh, intense schedule that we, we did this for this retreat. Some of the listeners might not find seven days to take out of their year to organize a retreat like that. Uh, you wrote a really good article on a really short retreat, like a half a day retreat. Um, so let's say if somebody wants to organize a short one, either like a weekend, you know, like two day retreat or even like a half a day retreat, what would your recommendations be? as far as um, schedule goes. Mm. Yeah, just before I dive into that, I, I guess I should mention that these longer retreats, like, you know, five, seven, 10 days, they're only really done like maybe once or twice a year. Uh, more would be excellent, but most of us don't have time for that. So even though they can be quite intense, they're happening um, very infrequently throughout an entire year. Um, and the longer it is, you know, the better. You can go deeper, you can cultivate more. Um, but if you don't have that, or if it's intimidating and if you're just getting into like self retreats, then like I said, in the beginning, start with a shorter retreat and you could even do like a one day or even a half day retreat. And that's very easy to organize, very easy to carry out. And all it really requires is a little bit of forethought. So, you know, um, the time and the space that you're doing the retreat, what's going to happen at every hour of that day, very, very specifically, because it is only a half day or one day. And, the uh, the most important, one of the most important things to consider in those shorter retreats is um, you actually have to communicate even more because unless you're by yourself, which would be awesome if you were, um, that might not be the case for everyone. You might actually be doing the retreat in a space where other people are living who are not involved in the retreat, maybe a roommate or maybe a partner or something like that. And so you have to communicate with them and say, hey, listen, from this time on this day, I'm going to do this this uh, meditation retreat, and usually that involves some sort of silence. So you should let them know what you're doing, um, that you're going to go into a period of silence, um, where you're going to be at certain times, you can put up the schedule for them. And that way they kind of know what's going on. You also know what's going on too. And um, it's just it's just very easy because then everything's organized. So the, the thing we keep harping on is scheduling and organizing and doing it all before. Mm -hmm. uh, it's easy for a half-day retreat. Just got to make sure you communicate with anyone else who's there with you who's maybe not participating in it as well because that might be a common that might be a common situation you find yourself in and uh, it might be a common excuse to not do it, right? Like if you have a roommate or a spouse or someone who doesn't want to participate that shouldn't prevent you from doing it uh, because it's going to be very personal and on your own time and it shouldn't be affecting anyone else, especially if you're communicating with them beforehand and because it's such a short time, shouldn't really pose any problems. So I would definitely start there and just have a day of like an early morning meditation, a simple breakfast, some more time for meditation and tea, 
um, some rest periods in between, have a lunch. In that case, I wouldn't make lunch myself. I would either ask someone to make it for me and they'd be doing a service for you during that retreat. Or I would have a lunch like pre-made, like a soup or something like a stock soup or something um, that's easy for you to prepare on your own. And then in the afternoon, you know, schedule your time as, as necessary. Meditation, tea, work and rest periods, and then basically it. Mm-hmm. What um, about reading? Would, that, would you recommend reading? Reading is, is um, it's a little tricky um, because you just, you have to protect yourself of the material that you're taking into your mind and your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, if you're going to be reading during retreat, for example, I was during this retreat, I would read material that is conducive to a retreat, like a book on Zen, a book right. on tea, a book on Buddhism, mm-hmm. a book on meditation, mm-hmm. anything like of that of that nature uh, is going to facilitate your your retreat. However, there are retreats where you go into noble silence and you are basically getting rid of all types of sensory input and stimulation. Mm-hmm. No reading, no music, no writing, you know, nothing. You're just there to retreat. You're just there to meditate and uh, eat and sleep. And that's basically it. And that can be really, really good too. So you may want to do that, especially if it's one day. Having a fast from everything um, is really easy. You can fast from tech, you can fast from reading, you can fast from writing and listening to music because it's just one day. And you will definitely benefit that because most of our days are a type of stimulation overdose, Mm -hmm. right? From food to sounds to you name it. It's just coming in constantly and bombarding our minds and our our bodies and our, our spirits and our emotions. And so at least one day of fasting, all of that is easy and it's not extreme, and I would definitely recommend it. So I, on a one day or a two day, I would I would say don't read at all. Mm. I would say don't write, don't read, don't listen to music, don't definitely off computers and all tech because it's only one day. And actually, if you want to do that for a longer term uh, retreat as well, you would find it very beneficial and extremely relieving <laughs> to let go of those things, which we are so attached to. And some of us go years decades if not our entire life without even a single day of fasting from all those things Mm -hmm. a single day and so even one day can be uh very very um intense for some people and and relieving and like uh enlightening like wow i just i can't believe how things changed as a result of not checking my phone Mm -hmm. of not reading this book of not going on my computer of of not these all these things that we're so addicted to and just completely take for granted mm-hmm. and we're, we're basically uh, yeah addicted to them hmm. i think it also gives you like an opportunity to work on your to work on these addictions or or you become aware of these strings that are the, the habit patterns the habit <laughs> patterns that you have and the, and the and the strings that you're connected to like checking your email mm-hmm. you know every hour or, or looking at your phone messages and and whatnot and and feeling that you need uh, to watch that TV series before bed or whatever. So I found that in this retreat, I became more aware of my habit patterns and um, I was able to work on them and, and let go of some of them. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because a lot of people have this idea about meditation and it bringing you more happiness and more <laughs> peace. And, and that's nice and that's definitely a byproduct at times. But, you know, honestly, in in my experience of like living in a spiritual community for a number of years now, um, that's not what it's about. (laughs) And I love this definition that my teacher often says is 
Um, and especially because it clears up this idea of spirituality and what it really means, because it's a very bagged down word. There's a lot of there's a lot of energy around what that word really means, spirituality and being spiritual. And, uh, uh, you know, so in my experience and what my teacher has always said is the spiritual life is about cultivating the tools to help you navigate the vicissitudes of life more skillfully, mm. right? Because we all know, most of us are old enough to know that life is throwing a ton of curveballs our way. And, and let's face it, that means sickness, that means pain, that means sorrow, that means loss, that means death. All of these things that are just natural parts of life that we have a lot of aversion to because we're not prepared at all to receive them skillfully. Mm -hmm. We don't have any tools or we have a very limited number of tools um, that don't help us navigate those. And so to me, through meditation, through tea, through living in a community, through performing acts of service, through so many of these, there's so many great tools in a, com in a communal life that can be developed um, and studied and practiced. They all help you navigate these crazy curveballs that are coming your way. Um, and to do that more skillfully allows you to lead a more skillful life. And that's really what it is more about. And, and that process, that journey is the reward itself. It's not about getting to a final state of happiness or peace or liberation. This is all easy to say, by the way, much more difficult to do. Um, I always like to say that because I'm very comfortable right now and it's easy to say these things. <laughs> and I, I, like everybody else, fall down and stumble and make tons of mistakes. Um, and one of the great one of the great lessons of, again, living in a community, how, leading a spiritual life, living with a teacher is to help learn how to get back up when you do fall down mm -hmm. because you are going to fall down. Absolutely. Um, and so to live in a community with a, a family and a support network to help you get back up, to have a teacher there who also falls down because they're a real human being and see how they get back up. This is all really good stuff to learn and take on and, 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 uh, help you then navigate your life a little more skillfully as well through all of the trials and tribulations that life inevitably has to offer. So that's why these retreats can be so important because they do, like you just said, they make you a lot more aware, a lot more present because we're, we're calming down, we're slowing down, we're sitting in stillness. And, uh, you know, if you've got muddy water and you let it stay still for a long time, all the sediment will sink to the bottom and you'll be left with clear water. And that's an analogy for what we're doing in a meditation retreat. And when you're clear like that, you can see yourself more clearly. And this is the other interesting thing is when you see yourself more clearly, you might think it's really nice and wonderful, but actually you see a lot of your, your, your character defects, mm -hmm. your bad habit patterns and your mm -hmm. good ones. You see yourself more clearly and everything that you are that we often hide with all of our everyday distractions. And so you actually see a lot of your own problems, which can be really scary if you're not ready for that. Mm -hmm. um, if you see your character defects, if you see these deeply ingrained habit patterns, and it's, you know, to be quite honest, you see that you're a jerk sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's good and it's, it's humbling to see that because you, you're, you're unveiling this. You're taking away this thin veil that you hold on the surface level that is your Facebook picture and your Instagram stream. <laughs> and you're actually demonstrating to people and yourself who you really are. And all the, all the sages of the old have said, know thyself, you know, figure out who you are. And again, easy to say, difficult to do. Don't hold me to this. I'm definitely in the process of learning who I am. And doing these retreats is extremely helpful to see that more clearly, like you just said. Mm. Yeah, I think that's why... Uh having retreats regularly is such a good idea they remind you and, and they help you see yourself more clearly and and define what you want to work on because 
amidst the everyday distractions we forget. Let's say we do one retreat for a couple of days and we become aware of some habit patterns that we want to shed and some character defects we want to work on and that's all well and good. And then a few weeks later, uh, maybe a few months later, we have forgotten and kind of settled back into a groove. Yes. Um, so having regular retreats is very beneficial, at least in my experience. And I think it's important that we define regular retreat or the frequency of the retreat, because again, I don't want to put anyone off by making them think, oh, I've got to do this every week or every month. Or, <laughs> and obviously that's not the case. We don't, we're not, most of us aren't privileged to be able to do that. So it might only be once or twice a year. And yet that is really important to do it with that type of regularity. And then outside of that, that's why it's important to then have a daily meditation practice. That's where community comes in. That's where creating time and space comes in. If you don't have a space in your home to meditate and you don't have a time for it, uh, very quickly that's going to get consumed in your life. And you're you're going to, after a retreat, you might meditate um, twice a day for two days and then you miss one day and then you miss uh, you know a couple days the next week and then it's just gone a few weeks later. So you have to have a regular meditation practice for all of the times between these retreats. And that's why these retreats are so important to come back to regularly because they, they reinforce our practice, they motivate us. And so we need that ebb and that flow of like intensive retreat to like really like strengthen our practice and then daily, daily practice, meditation, tea, uh, healthy eating, exercise, good sleep, all those like just, just basic, basic things that keep us healthy and happy and, and, uh, and present. Mm -hmm. one of the questions that came to me earlier and i wanted uh you to maybe clarify that a little bit you already touched on that is um if you're doing a retreat with somebody else especially if it's your like you said your spouse your partner or maybe your best friend especially if it's a short retreat like a half a day one or even just a couple of days you could get distracted because you're with someone you're um living with or have that really close relationship like your best friend so um, do you have any tips on how to stay on schedule how to not deviate from it and uh, and also about um, if you're practicing tea together let's say or would you even uh, recommend practicing tea tea together in that retreat okay yeah there's a there's a good a few good questions in there um, first of all before the retreat, you do want to have a meeting with the other participants. And we're assuming there are other participants in this scenario. So either like two days before, or one day before, get together, maybe have some tea, and then talk about the schedule and uh, answer any questions. Um, that way, everyone's on the same page. Everyone should have some sort of schedule. It should be posted somewhere so everybody knows. And um, what I would recommend in this case is that you enforce noble silence. And noble silence means silence of body, speech, and mind. So we're not speaking through sign language or written pieces of paper. Obviously, we're not verbally talking. You're, you're staying as um, focused on yourself as possible and not communicating with others for this short time. And that way, you don't really like get in each other's way. Maybe, you know, there's, it's a, we're living in communities and people rub shoulders and there's friction and ego and that stuff just happens. And that's part of our practice too. But having noble silence is a really good way to keep everybody in their own space and clear um, on what they're doing because you are focusing on yourself. Again, it's self-cultivation, a retreat, a movement backwards. And if it's a really short retreat, I would probably just have like individual tea sessions. If you've got the space and the tea and the teaware for that, if not, have communicate beforehand that you're going to have a group session 
Um, you should know who's going to be brewing the tea at that time. So you don't get into a, a, some like contentions when the time comes to make tea. And, um, you should set the time and the date for that tea session and let everyone know that it's a silent tea session. There's no music. There's no eye contact. There's no, um, like gestures and stuff like this. The per one person's going to make tea. The others are going to receive tea. It's as simple as that. Otherwise it's just individual tea sessions. Everyone takes care of themselves. And for example, like we did in our seven day retreat here is we had most of our mornings dedicated to individual tea practice times. And then we had two scheduled group tea sessions where we communicated beforehand who was going to be, who was going to be brewing and where they were going to be brewing. Um, and then it was all just set and clear. It was on the schedule. It was communicated before everyone just showed up and, uh, it was all easily handled. Hmm. Um, so before the retreat, you and I had a conversation and you told me that um, in the past when you had the rare opportunity to organize a personal retreat, you felt as though during that time your practice really soared and expanded um, in ways that you hadn't really noticed before. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about how to incorporate tea on the retreat um, in the daily schedule, whether it's doing experiments or having ceremonies with someone else or yourself, or also just practicing, um, if you can give some details or suggestions about that. Yeah, great. So like, like I said before, it is as challenging, as difficult as retreats can be, uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, it is very much a privilege to have the time and the space to actually do that. And that's why one's Practice can uh, develop very rapidly and you become aware of that because you've got some mental clarity and you get to like practice making tea every single day for maybe five days, seven days, 10 days. And that's awesome. You think about your, your daily month or even your year and you don't get to do that. Maybe you're making tea daily, which would be awesome, but maybe it's only once a week. And so to actually like dive in and create a schedule and, and practice tea every day, maybe even like multiple times in a day, you're going to be able to do a lot more than you normally would in your regular schedule. So one of my retreats I did, I was very lucky. It was 10 days. I was by myself and uh, I had everything here, all the tools, all the means, all the space, all the time. And I was able to practice um, four of our five brewing methods in this tradition every single day wow. for 10 days, wow. right? Unheard of. It was just amazing <laughs> to be able to do that. And so in that schedule, I had less meditation and actually more time for tea, obviously. Um, there's still at least, I think, three or four hours of meditation in that day. Um, and the tea, the tea ceremonies or the tea sessions end up being more meditative as well because you're there by yourself. I wasn't listening to music. It was just very, very quiet. But uh, obviously, your tea practice is going to improve when you're so focused on it in such a, like a condensed period of time. So what does that mean for you if you want to make your own tea and meditation retreat, um, you might not be able to practice all four of the brewing methods or all five of our brewing methods. Um, you might not have the time and the space for that. So just keep it simple, right? Brew, use the brewing methods that you are uh, comfortable with. Um, that might be leaves in a bowl, that might be side handle, uh, that might be gong fu tea, and maybe you've got some time and you can also do some experiments. Um, if you've got the time and the space for that, that's awesome. Um, I definitely did some experiments on this retreat which was nice because I could do like two in a day, which normally I'd never get the chance to do that. Um, but I was also practicing um, simpler tea sessions as well. You should never feel like you have to be doing more complex or complicated brewing methods. 
if you can't sit simply with just leaves in a bowl um, and some like just good spring water, then you, you are maybe a little bit misguided and should just <laughs> relax more into those those simple tea sessions because there's a there's always more to learn there. There's always more that can unfold. So just keep it simple. Use whatever you've got as far as tea and teaware goes. Um, use the brewing methods you're you're comfortable with. Don't dive into like brand new traditions or brewing methods in this retreat. And since so simplicity is is basically the answer when it comes to choosing the tea, the tea session or the tea and the teaware that you're going to use throughout the day in, in your retreat. And depending how much you want, it might be one session a day. Maybe you've got more time. You can have two or three sessions in a day as well. That's up to you. Um, so organize it however you want and, uh, and just work, go from there. Mm. So sometimes we approach a retreat as something to facilitate an escape from all of the things that tend to overwhelm us instead of seeing it as an opportunity to shift our relationship to those things things such as our jobs, our relationships, our families. What are some of the ways we can bring more retreat to our daily lives once it ends? <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a, I mean, that is always the question. Like the, the question for me often is how do I take that which I cultivate in the meditative space and apply it into my everyday life. Mm-hmm. That's that's the, that's the question like with any experience you have. If you have an experience on the meditation cushion and the tea space, you know, it could be super visual, it could even it could be really wild story or fantasy that you go into. Um, it could be very like enlightening and and um, inspiring, but at the end of that, you have to ask yourself, okay, well, practically, how is this going to um, benefit my life and the life of those around me? How can I use this towards service to other people? That's what it's all about. If, if it's just about you and yourself and like being happier, it's, it's selfish and it's not going to lead anywhere. Um, it's going to lead to separation. And so ultimately, we always have to be turning this question around and saying, how do I apply this in my everyday life? And that is really the thing. You know, if, if we're treating a retreat as an escape again, we're actually going in the wrong direction because you're, you're not going to escape. You're actually going to become much more clear of your problems mm. if you're actually sitting and meditating and quieting your mind. You could waste your time and escape in that sense, but that's always going to catch up with you and, and bite you in the butt. So I guess one of the answers is definitely um, consistency, daily consistency. If you can like break up these practices into small, digestible chunks that you can approach every day in in some sort of routine, you're going to find the benefits of them in your everyday life because you're actually making contact with them every single day. So you don't have to get all like uptight and like write your every single detail in your calendar every minute of every day and like follow it, you know, really strictly. But a lot of us in this generation need more self-discipline. We need some structure that we can lean on. And then small daily doses of our practice, right? There should be meditation. These again are like the the five basic things that Wuda, our teacher, is always saying we need on the physical level, on the external level, which is you need to be sleeping really well. You need to be eating healthy food. You need to be exercising every single day. You need to be drinking tea, making contact with your Tao, for us it's tea, and you should be meditating twice daily in the morning and the evening. Ideally, that would be one hour every morning and one hour every evening. Um, that might be a, very challenging for some of you, so you could maybe make it shorter. That's a little bit soft, but hey, it's better than nothing. If you're meditating for 10 minutes twice a day, uh, that's better than zero, mm-hmm. right? So in my experience, 
it is, it's very challenging to like incorporate a lot of what we're learning into our everyday lives. I'm always falling down and always making mistakes, but then you have to, you have to step back and, and remember perspective and see that that's actually an opportunity to learn how to pick yourself up because you're always going to be falling down. And then again, break it up, organize your day, um, follow through with a schedule, have those like daily, daily, um, basics down and then after that, you can start to work on like some of your deeper issues. But if you don't have the basics down on like a daily practical level, you can't, you don't even know what your deeper underlying like problems are in life. Because most likely any of the problems you're experiencing are going to stem from a lack of one of those five really basic things, right? You're, it's probably that you're not sleeping enough. It's probably <laughs> that you're not eating healthy. It's probably that you're not, you know, meditating every day, exercising every day, or making contact with your Tao, which for us is tea, for you might be yoga, might be cooking, might be archery, might be woodworking, whatever it is. So um, these retreats, again, they, they give you perspective. They help you see what's important. Um, therefore, you know what's primary in your life. And you can use that to then um, take steps into your everyday and get those basic things down and then work from there. You gotta have those basic things down for at least a handful of months, uh, if not six months to a year, before you can really start addressing like the bigger issues that you will have to work on for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it's just, it's hard, it's not easy. I'm not here to say it's easy at all. Um, the challenge, you know, we, we grow when we are outside of our comfort zone, right? That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean be masochistic and, and purposely look for suffering in your life, right? Your suffering's coming. Just wait. It's going to come <laughs> for sure. So you don't have to go looking for it. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying it's not going to be easy. And all of your growth is going to happen when you're outside of your comfort zones. Mm. And when you're in a retreat and you are seeing yourself clearly and you're facing like the emotional turmoil that's coming up or like the, the character defects or the negative habit patterns, when you see that stuff, you might think like, oh no, I'm, I'm such a, a bad person or I'm so distracted or that was such a terrible meditation. <laughs> but actually, if you say, if you stay and you sit and you work through that storm, that is, that is a, a really, really skillful tool to develop because you're learning how to work through challenges, right? And to do that in, in a, a meditative posture where you're upright and you're still um, is a really, really beneficial thing that will naturally unfold in your everyday life. Um, and so yeah, it's, it's going to be hard. It's not meant to be easy. Um, and I, I love in this room here, there's this awesome piece of calligraphy that a friend gave us a long time ago. And it says, um, the path of the heart rewards the diligent. And in order to be, to follow that path of the heart, you will have to be diligent. And that means you're going to have to face uh, challenges. You can't be diligent without facing challenges. If it's just easy, it's just easy. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't have to do anything. It's easy to be on vacation when you're, you know, somewhere around the world that's warm and sunny and on a beach of palm trees like Hawaii or something like Hawaii <laughs> or something. <laughs> and uh, it's difficult to it's difficult to maintain like equanimity and composure and sensitivity when you are facing some just regular old challenges like we all face. So it's not easy. Be diligent. Stay consistent. Break it up into small daily digestible chunks and get those five basic things down. There's lots more of things after that that you can get down, but you got to work on the basics first. Mm. Yeah. And I would say don't be afraid to make mistakes or don't beat yourself up. That's, uh, you know, one of the realizations 
that arose for me in this retreat and, and that I regularly I reached that conclusion that really the way that we learn is through making mistakes. Mm. Ah, ah, well said. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly mm. agree. Mm. So unless there's anything specific about the practical details of um, organizing a course that you wanted to touch on, um, Shan, then I would suggest maybe let's end this discussion with uh, a reflection on the retreat that we just finished, uh, maybe some lessons that we learned, or just the general experience, how the retreat went for us. Yeah, I think we covered everything. So let's go into uh, some of the reflections from our retreat. Hmm. Well, for me, one of the things that I was really glad to uh, see was how uh, this retreat not only affected my consciousness and my mind, but also how it physically affected uh, me. And uh, I'm constantly reminded that these two things are not separate. Our mind and body are one and the same. They're connected. So one of the days I actually fasted for 20 hours and uh, um, it was interesting to see the effect it had on my body and also to see how uh, mentally attached I was to food. In my experience, uh, you know, I get hungry after three or four hours. So going into that, um, I was thinking that uh, this would be a, a challenging process for me. But since it was in the middle of the retreat, it was, I think, on the sixth day or something like that, um, it was actually far easier to not eat than I expected, which is very interesting. And uh, also I felt so much cleaner. I felt that my body had time to rest and, uh, you know, they, maybe they just, they just threw some of the old food that had been in my system. And, uh, and after that experience, I just felt more energized. I felt cleaner and uh, the latter part of the retreat, I had more mental clarity. Another thing that I, I found was uh, I was, again, reminded how important it is to have a daily meditation practice. Like Wu says, uh, if you're not practicing morning and evening meditation every day, you can't really say that you're fully serving tea in this tradition. So uh, this, this was a, another big reminder for me how important meditation really is. And also having a, a long tea session by myself uh, really clearly showed how tea is such an integral uh, part of my life. Uh, it inspires me, it creates this stillness, and uh, it really feels like a liquid meditation, uh, really focusing on serving tea, preparing tea, and then and, and taking it all in, and uh, doing it in silence and in a meditative state had such a big effect on, on my consciousness. And afterwards, I just emerged with so much more clarity out of that session. And uh, I, every single time, I felt inspiration rise in me. Uh, so I think that's one of the big benefits of having this daily practice of tea in your life is that it inspires you to go on and work on the daily tasks that need to get done um, on that day. How about you, Morgan? What was your experience like? So right before the retreat started, uh, Sean, you had us write down um, our daily schedules um, in detail, um, writing down the times that we would perform each task. 
And uh, I really appreciated that in the moment, but it didn't really, I didn't fully understand it until it was actually happening. And initially, I took it as, oh, yes, of course, like we have to do this for self-discipline. This is important. You know, we need to stick to the schedule. But as time went on, I realized more and more that it was to be in service to the two of you. Um, because we, I, in doing that, I was create a part of the creation of the container for you as well. And if I, in some way, decided that I was too tired or too too caught up in some thought or emotion to to do what I was meant to do, it would take away from your experience. And I really wanted to um, not just be held by the container that we were creating in the schedule, but I wanted to um, hold it as well, if that makes sense. And um, I really, it felt like such an honor to be able to, you know, show up and do things on time or, or to make sure... You know, to even to make sure I was eating a certain way and sleeping a certain way because I feel like whatever mind state I was in was could possibly, if, if I wasn't um, disciplined in that way, it could possibly, like, disrupt the harmony in the zendo or, you know, it just everything I did, it just wasn't about me anymore. And I feel like that was truly the most important and, and profound reflection that came up for me perpetually throughout the seven days. And also with, uh, like Giannis was just sharing about the, our tea practice, I felt really fortunate to be able to spend that time with tea uh, because it really allowed me in maybe, I don't know, my, my, my tea practice is quite young, but to really feel the chance to relax into practice because I was setting aside so much time to be present and just allow myself to really understand why I was making every move that I was making and just to let it all land in a different way where I could like fully receive every single action or lack thereof in those in those sessions in that moment. And yeah, that was really powerful for me. And yeah, just, just, there's so much. <laughs> Could talk for so long about um, the past seven days. But again, it, it, um, I feel like I'm still sort of unpacking and processing, but I feel like those two are, have stood out the most for me. Mm. Uh, feeling the effect of rhythm and schedule on my daily life was also a, a really big um, realization for me as well. Chen? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it kind of short. Um, I'm just always reminded of, you know, how turbulent life can be, especially in the, this monkey mind as it goes from like, you know, moments of great focus and concentration to like complete distraction and just to kind of watch yourself go through that ebb and flow and work through it with a family and a, a schedule in this retreat mode and to have awesome tools to work through them uh, as always. That, that I was just reminded of how, how, uh, 
how important those tools and that family are to help work through those turbulent times because uh, life can be very turbulent at times. So that was what I noticed a lot. And since I was on the organizational end of things, um, I was always reminded of how important just the details are, just being really detail-oriented in every little aspect because I definitely forgot some things that I would have liked to have communicated in the beginning um, that I didn't and then caused little issues and little hiccups here and there. So um, I was reminded in this retreat how important those little tiny details are and uh, how you have to just go through the schedule with a fine with a fine uh, uh, comb to to really like even out the whole thing mm, because it's, it was a silent retreat so there's no <laughs> real way of like communicating things yeah yeah that, that made it challenging so um because you do go into noble silence or you can choose to it has to be that much more detail oriented yeah uh, and communicated to all the participants um and then uh, as always it's just great to even now like one or two days later um to keep contemplating keep reflecting on how i should take any of my experiences in that retreat and start applying them because um, that's always the that's always the question I'm trying to figure out and work through and and work with, uh, you know it's it's very like nitty gritty kind of stuff because mm-hmm. we just had all this like time for for cultivation we <laughs> retreated and now we're back kind of out into the world we're talking amongst ourselves we're more um, involved in worldly affairs so if anything I experienced in that retreat um, how does it apply to what I'm doing now it's what I'm always trying to like reflect on throughout the day uh, and that's what retreats are excellent for. Hmm. Hmm. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you, Sean, for actually doing such a great job mm, with the schedule so and, and the organizing. Mm, uh, yeah. the, those hiccups weren't really even felt. Um, Not at all. <laughs> uh, uh, this, I would say that this retreat went really smoothly. Mm-hmm. And uh, also thank you for sharing uh, your experiences uh, with us. I hope the listeners get good tips out of it. Um, I want to thank you, Morgan, also mm-hmm. for being my co-host and, mm-hmm. and sharing your experience during the retreat. Um, also for listeners if you are interested in um, undertaking your own retreat organizing your retreat whether alone or be it with somebody else um, there are two global tea hut issues that i would really recommend uh, checking out and they're both available free on our webpage. you can just go to globaltyhut.org and look under the past issues um, tab um, the issues are February 2017 and February 2018. Both of those magazines have articles on how to organize um, retreats. Uh, one of them is a longer um, article on how to organize a longer retreat, and the other one has uh, a guide for a really short half-day uh, retreat that Shen wrote. Um, I definitely recommend looking at those articles before you uh, start because those are really good guides and they give you not only like good tips, but actually a sample schedule that you can either use or adapt for your own retreat. Uh, So thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you in the next Life of Tea episode, which will be about creativity. If you have enjoyed this episode, then please help us reach more people by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Your comments, likes, and shares will go a long way and are deeply appreciated. Another way to support this project and our free tea center here in Miali, Taiwan that you can come visit is to sign up for the ad-free magazine that we publish every month. It covers all aspects of tea from processing and brewing techniques, history, lore, spirituality, and community aspects. 
It also comes with a tin of beautiful, sustainably produced tea. To subscribe, go to globalteahut.org. If you would like more information on linear topics such as brewing techniques, feel free to check out our YouTube channel, also called Global Tea Hut.